electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, an announcement that will have the whole crypto world talking. The president of Coinbase, Asif Hirji, is in the house. We will talk all things crypto. Plus, he will have some important news to announce. It's a major addition to their business, so stay tuned. Plus, former NBA star Rick Fox is diving into one of the fastest-growing trends, eSports, and he's training his gamers to be the next great athletes. He'll tell us his three secrets to gaming success. But first, we start off with what has been a crazy comeback for the Dow since the open yesterday, about 32 hours ago. The Dow surged nearly 1,000 points. That's more than 4%. With all this volatility back, you might even call it a trader's paradise. Yes, the place where fortunes are made and maybe lost in just a matter of minutes. And check out some of these huge moves. Boeing and Netflix, Lennar, Tesla surging back from their lows yesterday. So we thought we'd start our show with one of our favorite games here. What's you know game? what that is, right? No, what we'll say it. Trade it or fade it. Trade it or fade it. Okay, so let's start off with Tesla. Tesla is up uh, more than 21%. About 21% here since the lows yesterday. Trade it or fade it, guy. Well, I have to be. I have to stick to my guns. Guy, That's play what the you game. Do. Just trade what? it. Okay, I was going to trade it. And the, and and the okay. reasons why are this. I've said for quite some time that you buy it on a breakout, a close above 280, or you wait for it to trade down to 205, 210. Didn't get down that low, but obviously we closed above 280 yesterday. You saw what happened today. It seems as though production numbers are back in line with what the street wants, and I think maybe the worst in the short term is over. If nothing else, you get an opportunity to trade once again against that 280 level and a look to rally into earnings. It is amazing that its 52-week low was set on April 2nd. If you're buying it here, you're kind of doing the whole thing wrong. OK, like, you know, you had an opportunity when it made that 52 week low. It held, um, you know, at one point that momentum started kicking in. Listen, it had a great close today. A lot of the tech stocks, a lot of stocks that have been beaten up over the last couple of days or the last week or so did not close like Tesla closed today on its dead high. OK, so, you know, maybe you see some follow through here, but I just would be hard pressed to think that you have another 10 percent. So, so what's your answer? Can you play the game? You're <laughs> Job, you're you're fading thank it. you. You're yeah. fading Poor it. Thank job, you. Thank you. Fading. I would imagine a lot of the pressure will appear to be off with the stock bounce in terms of its ability to access markets. Yes, and the that is raising. one fundamental difference as yeah. opposed to, you know, the rest of the stocks, they're the same company, right? They have the same outlook that they had 31 hours ago. This one, though, having traded up so much, it does, it actually does make a difference. It gives them a chance to raise money more easily if they choose to do so, which I think they should. Right. So, uh, I mean, still, having a, I'd fade it. I, would, I just, <laughs> wow. Well, this is know, completely not in your... It's so not in my bail yeah. look at all, yeah. Tim? By the way, that's Edward Joseph Mahoney, also known as Eddie, Eddie Money, Money, just for those folks Jeez. playing at home. Um, fade it. You absolutely fade it. First of all, it's not about, you know, oh, not so big deal on the trade front. Oh, not so big deal on, on the credit downgrade. I mean, this is a bull market stock. 
Um, we're not in that same market, first of all. Look at the credit on, the, on this company, uh, and the credit has been significantly weaker over the last few weeks. Bottom line is, after this move, I, I get the fact that people were leaning on this thing in the previous, say, four or five trading sessions. I absolutely fade this. It would be, I would be totally hypocritical if I didn't fade it after this move. Here's an interesting one. Oh, I like this game. Right. Lennar. It's up 10% in the past 31, 32 hours. It did report earnings, right? And they were pretty strong. Mm -hmm. So we were talking about this last night. You know, we're going to get into earnings season next week. We're going to have a lot yeah. of the banks. And then, you know, a lot of analysts or a lot of strategists we've heard over the last couple of days are saying, well, that should be Q1 should be really good. And hopefully we'll see some good guidance. And so that should kind of give some stabilization to some of these names. When you have companies like Lennar that were unchanged yesterday, they do their conference call, and they close up 7 8%, that's telling you something there. So to me, I think this is one that you can trade it. Ah. Nice. Oh, nice. Go. The other interesting point about this is that its revenues are domestic revenues. So if right. we're worried about a yeah. tit-for-tat trade war, maybe this is sort of a Although they do of the use, they do use materials that, right. right. So... Um, just so I understand, the term trade it means buy it, right? Yes. Uh, we have to run kind of a, buy right. it or fade it doesn't work. Buy it or work. fade it is Karen not doesn't like good. to trade it, first I'm of all, not, to be clear. Yes, it's I'm not a huge trade it, but or, uh, I actually like this one. So that would be a trade it. <laughs> well, it's funny because uh, 32 and I did this on the closing bell yesterday. We talked about their you numbers. David Seabert. That would be David yeah. Seabert. <laughs> um, and, and what I pointed out is year-over-year year demand, 30%. Also, their incentives as a percentage of revenues are down 5.4%. They're not giving houses away. Folks, housing is strong when people have jobs and they're making money. Don't worry about the rising interest rates. That's an opportunity. And I think this sector has a lot of tailwinds. You know, it's interesting. I trade so, it. So yeah. these two stocks that we talked about, things actually change for them within the 31, 32-hour time span. How about a Netflix? Did anything change for Netflix in the past 32 the market, hours? No. No. The market, no. The market changed. The market yeah. changed. Trade it or fade it. So, Netflix is up 8%. Oh, he's trading it. I, sorry. I, I, Who wants in my mouth? This game is not guess what Guy would do. He's not putting words in Guy's mouth. I asked Guy what he's game. going to do. I want to play That's guess what Guy would do game. game next. Guess what Guy would do. What would I do? You would absolutely You're damn trade straight it. I'd trade it. I mean, I've been a Netflix holder. <laughs> I think they report on the 16th of April. If I'm not mistaken, that is a Monday. International growth, I think, will be strong. I think people that try to lean in this on the short side are making a mistake. Trade it, Melms. What would Tim do? Yeah. Oh, I Tim, knew Tim would say this. <laughs> Fade it. So definitely the valuation is crazy. It's still crazy. Yeah, nice, that hasn't nice changed. Okay, so what are you gonna what are you gonna say now? I'm gonna fade it first of all because <laughs> I, I think the market struggles here, and I think Netflix is one of these stocks that people started to pay attention to the multiple. It's still up 45 or 50 percent year to date, which bothers me, frankly, in a bull market where I think the multiple does matter. Yeah. Karen. I agree with Tim, oh. who I guess was agreeing with Guy, suggesting what Tim would do. <laughs> yes. So just so I'm clear that's a, on that's that, another game. I just want to make sure that's It's a more complicated good. game for yes. folks at home. But I, I agree. To me, it's sort of market-related. This sell-off has made some other things cheap. And so I think there's some other opportunities there. The Netflix business hasn't changed at all. It's a great business. Valuation, I just can't get around. Fade it. All right, so I'm just going to do would you rather. I mean, so this is Netflix at $127 billion, up 53% in the year, and we have Disney at $150 billion, you know, down 5% of the year. I'm trading Disney and I'm fading Netflix. Wait, wait, that? That's not even. <laughs> played the last. See, can I, yeah. we tell the people at home? We get something called a rundown. It's can like you this use, doesn't exist. And, and it's, it's like this thing doesn't exist. Do you see what, what the president did, did in this threw threw press conference? Yeah. He threw the thing away. That's do you what agree with Dan? It was a bonus. I don't know what we're talking about. Why does Disney and Netflix in the same conversation? It completely different. They really should be in the same conversation. No, I disagree. Because it really is a value versus growth. It really is. Is it content? Is Netflix content? It is. It's really. I mean, these these. 
names do deserve, you know, if there's any takeover premium for Netflix, it should be gone now. It's too big for anyone to buy. That's kind of the point, too. And at some point, Disney, we know they're trying to make some content deals. We've been talking about eSports. I bet they do something there. This could become a very interesting story if they start getting their digital strategy together, some of the content stuff. It's a very cheap stock, and we know about their pipeline that they have on the studio front. So to me, if they fix ESPN, Disney is a traded. I would actually think you agree with him in terms I of do. Disney I'm just over frustrated Netflix. that he's brought <laughs> Disney into this game. I mean, Wait. we've got another very important company on deck. We'll probably oh. get a chance to talk about it because Dan brought in another company. Well, now but you know how I feel. Anyway, now you know how I feel 18? as a person sitting in the center square. You know how very I feel. Very frustrating for Play you. Play my game. You know this last you time, well, they didn't trade it. Boeing. I would Boeing trade it. is up 8%. I would 8%. trade it. They report on April 25th, 20 times forward earnings. Valuation has come down from 30 times after they guided higher last quarter. Tim talks about the cash flow. Do you really want to be short this name into earnings when this tariff thing seems to be sort of going by the wayside? Trade it, Mel. Yeah. Karen, what do you say? I would actually fade it. I mean, just because valuations are high, this this used to be a cyclical company, right? (laughs) It used to have cyclical kind of P.E. multiple. That apparently is gone. I'm, I'm thinking a little bit too high, too rich, but great company. Fade it. Well, I'm going to fade this one. I think it's a great company, but, uh, you know, and I don't really care about the trade dynamics here because we, I think we've determined it's probably worth plus or minus five to ten bucks in the share. Um, I don't think it should be traded at 26 times. And, and ultimately, I do believe that there's a, a, a number that you just can't pay for this company in this market environment. Thank you for respecting the rules. I'm going to skip <laughs> Dan at this do. time because he introduced his own rules and he doesn't get rewarded for that. For more on what these big moves mean for the market, let's bring in Chris Harvey, head of equity strategy at Wells Fargo Securities. Chris, it's always good to uh, have you. It's good to see you, Play too. by the rules tonight, buddy. I'll try. What do you think of what has gone on in the markets in the past three days? Um, the simple answer is a, a whole lot. Um, what we've seen from clients is a 180. People were super bearish. All of a sudden, you get a bounce. Futures are down 2%. We end up one. All of a sudden, everyone's bullish. Everyone says, well, if they can't go down, then they have to go up. And, and so you see people very um, bipolar almost. And what I think is going on is you have people have forgotten how to trade this market. Volatility comes in and people freeze all of a sudden. They're like, okay, I'm going to buy them. Then they snap up 1%. They say, okay, I'm going to wait for the pullback. The pullback comes and they say, well, I'm going to wait for a bigger pullback. And so there's paralysis in this marketplace. But what we see is the sky's not falling, value's being uncovered, and we think there's great opportunity. And as things pull back, we want to put more risk on. And here's where we want to put risk on. We think there's a, not a Powell put, but a Powell strangle. And so as the economic numbers get more, I'll use my scientific term, squishy, the Fed gets more dovish. As economic numbers get more positive, the Fed will get more hawkish. And so what what he's doing is he'll put a floor, but also put a ceiling to this market. All right, let me ask you, it's really hard to trade around with psychology tells you do the wrong thing (laughs) at at both ends. Right. It's really inefficient, though, tax-wise. So you got, how confident are you? Where do you think the levels are? Are they far enough apart mm -hmm. that it it can make up for what you're going to lose in in paying taxes? Right. So what we think is a downside for the S&P 500 is about minus 5%. The upside is about 10%. Now you have to figure out how your economic or how your tax situation is. That, That I can't really speak to. But what I can speak to is we like the market. We're very simple. When the market comes in, we like it more. We see more value. We don't think value is being destroyed. We think actually value is being created. When the market goes higher, we think you have to lay off risk. 
this is not a place where you really want to hold on to risk for too long. And it's really a rent, not own type of market. You think down five, up 10? Down five, up 10. So, Chris, you know, it's interesting you're talking about really a kind of schizophrenic mindset for investors. You know, in Europe, we, you know, we keep hearing about this kind of global synchronized recovery. We've had some right. weak data in Europe. We've had re, re, retail sales and some consumer yep. data here. You just said a term that I haven't heard in, like, months is, like, the Fed potentially getting more dovish. Right. To me, that would be, like, very bearish for equities because it would really signal that maybe this bull run, you right. know, is coming to an end in, in, in foreshadowing a recession? Uh, I, I don't think so. I, I see your point. A lot of people say, wow, it's gonna, things are going to fall apart and the sky is falling and, and the, the economy is going to roll over. If that's true, what you should see is the Fed start to back away. Fed expectations should go lower. And, and if that happens, the curve should, should steepen somewhat and we should see more of a risk on type situation. So really, again, I don't mean to be too repetitive. You're, you're stopped out on the bottom, but you're also stopped up on the top. So you, you have to trade this market. And if you can't trade this market, what we tell clients is you want to be up in quality. You want companies that are less levered. You want companies that are better with better management teams, better stewards of capital, and, and higher profit margins. But really, there's great, we think there's great opportunity. Look at utilities from a month, month and a half ago. Look at what financials are. And, 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 so, and even industrials. We think you can make a lot of money in industrials over the next one, two, three, four months. But it's, it's not a long-term buy. In addition it's, it's to industrials, buy. though, technology you like? We do like technology. Obviously, they've been beaten up, but yeah. we like the more. You look at the sector as a whole, it's 18 times. The market's 17 times. You're looking at 20 25% EPS growth. You're looking at global markets or, or global companies, and, and we think there, there's good opportunity. Obviously, there's some hair on some of the stories, and, and there's some political risk with some of them. So we want you to take a more diverse approach, but we think there's great opportunity there. We don't think the run is over in technology. All right. Chris, thanks. Thank you. Chris Harvey. You play by the rules. 100% play by the rules. I mean, it was straight to the point. And you just went by the guest, right. so I, will, I won't bring him back, but I'll say, you know, and I Breaking mentioned this last night, but about a little more than a month ago, actually early February, Tim on a Thursday night said there's a very good chance tomorrow, good news is bad news. Well, you got jobs number tomorrow. I think we all agree that the jobs portion will be strong. But if that wage number is strong, I think, again, it puts the Fed in play. That's why we saw the volatility in early Feb. I think you can see it again tomorrow. What did we do today, Karen? I didn't do a lot today. One thing I have my eye on, though, is the VIX. I'm really look at that. I probably look to buy puts if it comes in another maybe three or four points. Tim. I actually, you know, that which is tactical in my portfolio, I absolutely faded. I, you know, there's nothing uh, that I think can happen tomorrow that's going to be terribly bullish for stocks. Have faded into this 1,000-point recovery off yeah, well, those yesterday? Yes. In other words, I, I think I'm going to get, in emerging markets, for example, I say, you always get your price. I, this isn't going to get away from me. Um, after the move we've had, I think, if anything, I'm seeing lower highs. I see 26.96 on the S&P with a lot of pressure. Um, and, and the regional Fed surveys have told you about labor issues. The ADP number doesn't necessarily correlate to the non-farm payroll, but, but we're getting to a place where we're hearing about labor all over the place. And, and anyway, Powell speaks tomorrow. He's going to be on his own. That's my call. Wow, you sounded really kind of emphatic about that. I mean, here, here's the thing. I'm just saying, I wasn't particularly the, the reversal yesterday is the sort of thing that caused me to cover a little bit of a spy short, okay? And that was something I was doing over the course of a couple of days. Today, my rule was this. If we closed on the highs and it looked like we were literally going straight to 2700 in the S&P 500, I was going to be out of that trading short in the spot. I didn't. I didn't think the close was so fantastic in both the S&P and the NASDAQ. And I think you have to give it a day because one thing we've learned over the last couple of weeks is that tape bombs are really moving the market here. Until we get some sort of stability where we feel like there's a base to build on, I think you can still do what you're doing is just kind of trade into some strength and look to put some tactical shorts out. So that's kind of my view right here. All right, attention crypto universe. 
The president of Coinbase is here. He's got a major announcement. He'll be joining us here on set in just a few moments. Plus, Micron getting slammed, the stock entering a bear market. One of our traders says it could uh, be about to get even worse. And later, Apple is soaring since Karen pitched the name in February, and now she's got a new stock she says is a home run. She'll give us her fast pitch. You're watching Fast Money in New York City's Times Square. We've got much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a buzzkill on Micron. Check out shares of the chipmaker down nearly 7% after UBS initiated the stock with a sell rating, $35 price target. The firm is cautious on the name and its memory pricing power heading into the second half of the year. The stock is now is now a, is in a bear market. It's been under pressure since its earnings report back in March. What do you make of this? Yeah, so here's the thing, right? So you just mentioned that earnings report. The company put up a good number, but they guided the street below where a lot of the buy side, a lot of investors were um, for the out quarter and for the balance of the year. And I think, you know, the stock sold off 8% after that. So when you have an analyst come out and say, sell the stock, it's going material lower because this memory cycle has shifted. All you have to do is go back and think about the move the stock had in 2013-14, and then when that memory cycle shifted, um, this stock lost, what, 75% of its value or something like that. And I think investors remember this was a hedge fund name. It was a huge hedge fund name back then. Even Einhorn, Regis yeah. Philbin. Everybody was in it. And, but, but, but I'm saying, just grades. like an overshot on the upside, an overshot on the downside. And right. I think a lot of people with the stock still up 20% of the year are probably saying, you know what, I don't need to stick around for that. Let's see if it gets a four handle on it. You know, within technologies, semiconductors were really weak today. I mean, this, and then you add NVIDIA, because Citron tweeted something pressing its short on the stock. That really pressured the whole Intel's sector. Intel's had a couple rough days. AMD, yeah. somebody, I think, just put a $7.5 price target a couple weeks ago. So I was bullish in Micron for a long time, and I continued to ride that to the upside after earnings. And for a day or two, it looked like it was the right call. Obviously, that's gone completely the other way. To Dan's point, when a stock like this, when their products become somewhat commoditized, I'm not suggesting when pricing power wanes, valuations get thrown out the window. I will say this. If you go back to November, you had a great quarter. The stock rallied up to 50 and failed. So past resistance on the upside becomes support. We're right there now. So I don't know if the $35 price target comes into play. And you didn't have necessarily the volume today to signal to me it was a capitulation day. But if you're looking to trade against 50 bucks ish this is your level now. All right. Still ahead. Former NBA star Rick Fox betting big on eSports. He will be here to tell us his plan to dominate the market. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC First and Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Last time Karen pitched a stock, it rallied 11% in one month. Now she says she has an even hotter stock. She'll give you the pitch. Plus, the Coinbase president is back, and he has an announcement that will rock the crypto world. And that's when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Bitcoin struggling to get back above 7,000. It might have something to do with the tax man. Let's get to Seema Modi back at headquarters for more. Hi, Seema. Hey, Melissa. You're right. People are calling it the cryptocurrency crush. All of the major cryptocurrencies negative on the year after gaining over 1,200 percent in 2017 and getting to the $20,000 level, Bitcoin has fallen below $7,000, down nearly 50 percent this year. Both Litecoin and Ethereum sinking 47 percent and 45 percent, respectively. Bitcoin Cash and Ripple both lower by more than 70 percent. So what's behind the sell-off? Analysts say regulatory concerns, crypto hacks, and taxes. In fact. 
fund strats Tom Lee said earlier on Squawk on the Street that the losses have been amplified by investors who are selling their crypto holdings to pay taxes on their capital gains from last year. We just published a piece just looking at what do U.S. households owe for capital gains on Bitcoin and cryptocurrency profits. It's, it, we think a low estimate is around $25 billion, which is almost a 20% boost to what the IRS tax receipts will be for capital gains this year. So it's a huge amount. But for, for the cryptocurrency market, that's a huge amount of outflows. I don't think we've ever seen that in a single year. So April 17th, less than two weeks away, tax experts are warning investors that regardless of the amount of gains, if you mined, invested, or used cryptocurrencies in 2017, make sure to report it to the IRS. But as soon as tax season ends, Tom Lee expects selling pressure to ease and cryptocurrencies to rebound. Melissa. All right. Thank you, Seema. Seema Modi back at headquarters. Well, Seema just detailed a number of different cryptocurrencies, but perhaps a simpler way of looking at it all. The Coinbase Index, it's basically the DAO of the crypto world, attracts four of the biggest currencies that trade on their platform. And now you can access that on CNBC.com. The man behind it all is Fast Money Friend and the president of Coinbase, Asif Hirji. Now Asif has a big announcement to make. We will get to that in just a few minutes, but we do want to start off with the overall environment because, Asif, it has been a pretty tough one. So we were taught, we were, yep. we just had this report about taxes and how there could be some selling because of that. Is that what you're getting from your clients? I've, I've certainly had some clients, for sure, who've contacted us to do large selling because of tax. That, that, that's absolutely going on. Is it the main cause of what, what, what's happening? I'm not sure. I think, I think there, there are potentially other causes, too. Um, I, I personally get comfort in the fact that this, this correction has happened four times in the past, right? So if you look back at history of, of, of say, Bitcoin, which is, longest, which is the longest running asset, there's been four times where it's corrected by 50% or more. And each time there's been either you know, six, nine, or sometimes three years between that and when it got back to the peak. So we've seen this before. Not, not that history is necessarily predictor of the future. But whether it's tax, whether it's something else, this is, not, this is, this is inherent in the asset class. We, it, it runs up a lot and it corrects. And I, I'm not, I personally am not surprised by that. And I wouldn't be surprised if it, if it came back pretty strongly. Do you get a sense that crypto investors or crypto traders are of are traders who also like to trade stocks in a volatile environment. And I'm asking you this because in right. 2017, we saw a huge run-up in the price of, of cryptocurrencies across the board, and it was a very low volatility year. Yep. Here we are in a period where volatility has really picked up, and maybe just coincidentally, we're seeing cryptocurrencies trade lower. Sure. I, I, I do think that, that active traders chase volatility. And as we talked about in the past, yeah. they, went, they chased asset classes. So it went from equities to options to futures to, to now cri crypto. Um, I do think crypto is still the most volatile asset class out there at the moment. And if you're an active trader, that's, that's where you're going to be. But I think there's another big trend that's coming, which is it's maturing as an asset class. And you're, now you're seeing investors come into crypto, hence the, the, the index that we, that we talked about the last time I was here. And then we also talked about the index fund that, we, that we've got going. And that I think you'll see more and more investors. You, you'll, you've seen more institutions in the space than ever before. It is maturing, and so I, I don't think it's just for the active trader. Uh, so the, you know, you, you mentioned the index fund, and that's something as you have more mature investors come into the space, do you expect that to be vol dampening? So, you, you know, you, you basically right. have investors who maybe don't know how to trade a currency, and they're trading in a very volatile fashion, but they can look at the NAV of your index, and they yep. can go in, and they can have that exposure. I think it will dampen volatility to some extent. I think the, the rise of futures has already dampened volatility to some extent, I think, and I think the rise of these, these investor vehicles will do that. By the way, we've had tremendous take-up on the fund, uh, well beyond anything we, we, we were expecting. 
And I know people are asking about when can I get in. We, we, we will launch it shortly, um, shortly being, being very soon. Uh, but we've already got initial indications of interest. We've already got the initial customers signed up. And, and, and at, you know, touch wood, there's no wood here, but touch wood, <laughs> it's, uh, it's been well beyond our expectations. And so we're very pleased about, about the fund. It's, it's confirming what we thought, which is there's actually more demand on the investor side than there is on the trader side. So that's the question, Asif. What, what is holding back a big institution in Boston, the, the typical ivory towers that uh, everyone likes to court? Um, right. What's holding these guys up? So a great question. I think the biggest, the biggest thing is, is where and how do you custody it? This is not like any other asset class. This is, this is a very significantly complex asset. If you think about just the complexity of trying to custody it, to keep it secure, to deal with airdrops and deal with forks, which are effectively corporate actions like mm -hmm. dividends or, or yep. stock splits, that, that's not easy stuff, right? And we've been, we've been doing it for longer than anybody else. We, we announced that we were launching a custody product. I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to say today that we are taking on board our very first clients. These are, all, these are some of the biggest names in, in wow. crypto that you can imagine. And so it's an institutional offer. It is exactly the kind of thing that an asset manager would need if they wanted to get into the space. And so when, I think when, when we and others who I'm sure will follow show up with a qualified custodian legit offer, you will see more, as, more asset managers yeah. enter the space. But custody is where, is where the biggest bottleneck is at the moment. Let me ask you, you talked a little bit about dampening volatility. We have futures now where you yep. do have the ability to be short, at least at the Bitcoin yes. anyway. Is there going to be the ability to be short your basket? Uh, or how, I don't right. know what the, what the instrument will be. The actual index, yeah. The, I, would, I would expect that there will be. Um, so our market data already powers the futures that are out there. And I would expect that you could use our index to create a basket future. Just, just like you would for any other, for any other asset class. And, so, and that's, in, in fact, that's why we put it together. It's why we've actually released it in, 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 in the public. We want people to use it to, to use it for things like futures or things like funds or things like, like uh, volatility instruments, like options, right? I, th I think all those things will come. They have to come if this asset is going to mature. They have to come. You've come here to make a big announcement. What is it? <laughs> so, so we have, I'm, I'm really pleased to say that we're, we're launching today the Coinbase Ventures Fund. So this is, this is our vehicle, our, it's where we're going to invest off our balance sheet into crypto companies. And let me, let me stress companies, not currencies, right? We will invest in companies that are, that are uh, in the space where we feel like they're aligned with our mission and aligned with our values. Uh, these are going to be seed stage investments. We, we're, we're very fortunate that Coinbase has been a great place for a lot of entrepreneurs to come already. We've already had a number of alumni start great companies. And we have a number of entrepreneurs who come to us to start their companies within Coinbase. And so this is a natural part of our evolution as a company. And so you'll see the fund, you'll see its first investments. In fact, they're going out this week. Uh, and we're super excited about, about the fund. How do you delineate between a company that is a company as opposed to a cryptocurrency or a coin? I mean, right. for instance, Ripple. Ripple is a company, I mean, they have a platform, but they yeah. also have a, not to bring up Ripple constantly yeah, with you, because it feels like <laughs> we are, but I mean, but that's a prime example of a company that has a platform, but it's got XRP, right. and so by investing in that company, if you decide that you wanted to add that to the platform, it's sort of a self-fulfilling yeah, prophecy. Yeah, there is, so, no, it's a, that's a great question. It, it, it's exactly one of the reasons why we've said we are not investing in currencies, is because we don't want it to, we don't want even the appearance of a conflict of interest, right? So these are... We are going to invest in, in early stage companies, primarily around founders that we know, the part of the alumni network or part of, part of that group, who are building what we think are compelling businesses that move the mission forward of a more open financial network. 
And we, by giving them capital and, and access to our expertise, we hope that they will grow great businesses. It's not about investing in the token. It's not about trying to line up tokens that we would later put on our exchange. It's really about trying to help the, the ecosystem mature. How big is the fund? How big do you think the fund will be as a percent? I mean, as a percent of your oh, business? How so, should we think about it? Yeah, I don't. It's, it, it's, it's going to be de minimis in terms of our profitability or our, or our returns. I, we, we hope to do good and do well. Um, but it's but it's already off to $15 million uh, in the first in the first instantiation and it'll grow as we grow over time. And I, I know I think I know what your answer is going to be. But when's the next token coin <laughs> going to be added to Coinbase? I have so, to ask you that. No, you have to ask me that. And, I, I mean, I, another I, one in 2018, I would imagine. And you have to answer it a certain way. Mm -hmm. I have to answer it a certain way, which I can't talk about any specific tokens because that would be material, not public information. Sure. But the general answer I can give is, look, we, we are. From the very beginning, we have said we are on the right side of where the regulations are. Okay, so we've always tried to play within the regulations, be the white player in the space that's full of a lot of gray, if not black. You cannot then list things for which there's regulatory uncertainty because that that, that doesn't fit with our mission. So the, the assets that we do list have all had some amount of regulatory certainty around them. As soon as there is more regulatory clarity than there currently is, you would expect us to start listing more assets. And I think the way you should think about it is we, we made an announcement about ERC-20 tokens. Yep. Okay? The way you should expect is our custodian will basically handle everything. In an equities world, that's everything from the blue chips all the way through the pink sheets. In the crypto world, you'll have the same thing. So we will, the custodian will handle everything. Our exchange will handle a subset of what is on our custodian. Right? You will see that traded. Our broker will allow you to trade a subset of what's on the exchange, what's suitable for you. Sure. Okay? And the asset manager, the fund, will have a subset, again, of, what, of, of what's on the fund, of, of what's on the exchange. That's the way you should think about it. So we will bring up assets first on the custodian, and then they'll, and they'll come to the exchange, and they'll come to the broker, and they'll come to the, the, the fund. That's how you should think about it. Hopefully more this year, but that depends on regulatory clarity. Do you feel like right now um, you're listing all of the coins that you can that have regulatory yes. certainty? Yes. So all the other coins that are not listed currently, you think there is regulatory uncertainty? Correct. Okay. We, we are not in a position where we would look at them and say, ah, there's sufficient clarity we, that we can list them. Right. Okay. Asif, it's great to see you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for inviting me. Asif Yerji of Coinbase. Some really bullish stuff there. Mm -hmm. it, for the asset class in general, BK has been talking about this institutional wall of money that may be coming at some point, which is obviously be very supportive to prices. What he just said, they're going to work, they're working on the custodian, they're working on indexes, they're working on all these frameworks that the regulatory environment can kind of get around and they understand these products are very similar products that have been kind of built the same way. So when you think about this, we're in this low vol period, it keeps going lower, it may continue to go lower. That doesn't mean that there's going to be less volume or anything like that. And ultimately, when institutions get comfortable around the infrastructure around right. it, they can hold it and they can custodian it. That's when I think the really the bull case takes off, and it could be some point in the second half of this year. Mm -hmm. I, I, well, I'm, I'd love to know what the next one will be. Well, everybody would, does, right? <laughs> but I understand that that can happen. Um, I mean, I still have exposure in the space. You know, uh, did an okay job taking some risk off the table last year, but I, I think we're early still in the evolution. Who knows where it goes in the short term? But I'm a long-term believer. I mean, once the institutions come money. in, yeah. it's I, a whole other ball game, right? I, I think it's fascinating. It'll be even more fascinating when listed companies in the traditional securities world are also in this space. I think that's where we're going. All right. Still ahead, former NBA star Rick Fox doubling down on esports with his Echo Fox franchise. So how did he go from winning on the court to owning one of the most successful competitive video gaming teams? We'll talk to him. Plus, from esports to more traditional sports, Karen Feinerman stepping off to the plate yeah. to pitch one stock that, that she says is about to make a 
major turnaround. The name when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. President Trump making comments about Amazon moments ago. Let's get to Amy Javis of DC with more. Amen. Yeah, hi, Melissa. The president was on Air Force One on his way back from West Virginia when he stopped in the back of the plane to talk to reporters. This is a little bit hard to hear, but the reporters asked him about his ongoing criticism of Amazon and its relationship with the U.S. Postal Service. Here's what the president had to say. So the president there saying he's going to study it, saying that the playing field has to be level for everybody, but saying that the post office is not doing well with Amazon. I can tell you that when you talk to officials here at the White House, Melissa, they say they're almost certain that the president's not going to take any specific action against Amazon, despite this ongoing barrage of criticism from the president over the course of the past week now that we've seen here at the White House. They, they say no specific policy actions are being contemplated at this time. And I can also tell that I just asked the president that uh, as he came back into the White House from Marine One, I shouted a question at him about Amazon. What specifically are you going to do about Amazon? Uh, he didn't answer that question, didn't answer any of the other questions from uh, the reporters who were gathered there. I can also tell you he's making news on another front that's getting a lot of attention around the media right now, addressing the Stormy Daniels controversy uh, for the first time, saying that he did not know about the $130,000 payment from his attorney uh, to the porn star, uh, and also saying he doesn't know where the money came from and referring all questions to his lawyer, Michael Cohen, who made that payment. So uh, the president making some news in a very chatty mood here on Air Force One today, talking about a number of subjects, including his ongoing verbal war of words with Amazon, Alyssa. All right. Thank you very much, Eamon Javers. Uh, Eamon's at the White House for us. Putting Stormy aside, <laughs> uh, in terms of Amazon, it's almost... Um, heartening that he says he's going to study the issue, yes. I think. Well, why are you saying because you don't believe he's going to study? No, no, oh, because, okay. because maybe maybe it shows that he's willing to have his to mind maybe, changed maybe or to I, step back from what he's been saying. I think maybe he's trying to step back from yeah. what he's saying. I think the fifth or eighth tweet or whatever it is doesn't have as much effect as the first one. I, you know, at the moment, Amazon is the Jeff Sessions of, of the, you know, corporate world. That'll fade. Something else will be in soon. Jeff Bezos hasn't said a word one. Genius, which is genius. genius number one. Right? They report, I think, April 26th. Their earnings will speak for themselves, which is why I think he's keeping his mouth shut. And I'm not really certain what level playing field yeah, the president's talking about. Here. I mean, because the post office has, I mean, so you listen to people and say it's the, the numbers don't add up in terms of what the president's saying. So what does it all mean? Bezos not talking. Stock reports the end of April. I think it goes higher from here. Yeah, I mean, I can't get into what the post office is doing right or wrong, but, but Amazon has a choice of places to ship their packages. Um, and ultimately, this sounds like it's great news for FedEx, um, which, by the way, I think is a buy in this market. But, but as Guy said, look, Amazon, the big story here is where are they going to turn top line into margin? And that's, uh, at some point, I think it's going to matter for this stock. I've never wanted a stock to go up more than this stock. You know, listen, the guy's lying. All of his prior tweets are lies. The form, Patrick Donahue, the former postmaster general up until 2015. Well, they're not factual. Who, who worked, well, it's a lie. If it's not factual, it's a lie. So he's been lying on Twitter to the American people. He's been lying to corporate America. He's been de uh, being derogatory about one of the most successful businessmen who's transformed well, commerce as the world knows it. What's, a, it what's just, amazing, this is a, a made-in-America story. Yes. Right? Plays to the base, mom and pops go closing. 
I yeah. get that. I, I, I get but that. But it's another, it's another sham because at the end of the day, this is great for his base. The, the deflationary pressures that have been caused but, uh, by what Amazon has been doing has been fantastic but, for U.S. consumers. But There's is no this... I know you don't like how the message is being delivered and, and whether there's factual discrepancy or not. But but the argument that Amazon is why does he playing get to predatory. Put his, why does he get to put his finger on here. the scale here? I'm not done why? here. Uh, the, the argument that Amazon might be playing an aggressive game of predatory um, gamesmanship of across multiple sectors. Well, I mean, so, you so can't tell shipping, me that there aren't. They're there aren't. shipping two-thirds of the packages here in America. They have massive pricing power. It's called capitalism, Tim. Okay, Dan, so Dan, I mean, no, but but they they for a long I'm time sorry. have been operating have been I'm operating sorry. without making any profits solely for the purpose of pushing people out of business. You no, can't they tell. Them, oh, they've been come on. operating that way to give consumers Look, the cheapest possible. I don't want to get sucked into a dynamic. I think Amazon How needs to that? continue doing everything they're doing. So let's be clear about yeah. that. But you could make an argument that Amazon has created a business model where they have gone after certain sectors, they've dominated those sectors, they haven't worried about making money, and if you look in the textbooks, Dan, that's antitrust. Thank Fred you. Smith wouldn't do it, but I mean, the real way to play this is for Amazon to use their stock to buy FedEx for about $90 billion. That's not gonna happen, but UPS mm -hmm. is sort of out there. Maybe their management is not nearly as strong as FedEx. That would be a more expensive deal in terms of actual dollars, but can you imagine that would end all these conversations? Dan's shaking I'm, his head, but you know what? It's not preposterous. Guys, guys, unless the DOJ in says 10 no. Years, in 10 years, <laughs> Amazon <laughs> won't be even using USPS. USPS, if yeah. they want to stay alive, they're going to be licensing Amazon's drone technology, which is going to be that last mile sort of solution. So at the end of the day, you are right. They have not paid taxes. I don't care you know, about the until 2014. Service, by the way. I don't feel the need to defend but them it's, it's just in a, any it's way. It's just a ridiculous. So, it's, it, it, parcels yes, is the yeah. only thing that's been growing for the U.S. I don't like what's going on, Dan. I don't we gotta like go. what's going on. Still ahead. We're heading down to Miami, where the biggest esports event of the season is taking place to talk to former NBA star and esports team owner about the rise of competitive gaming. Much more fast money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. If you're in Miami this weekend, be ready to get your game on because the biggest esports event of the season is coming to town. The League of Legends Spring North American Finals are taking place this weekend, and the top teams will be duking it out for supremacy on what fans and players of the game know as the Rift. It is a game played by over 100 million people in the world where two teams battle it out with champions of their choice trying to destroy the other team's base. It's also the most watched game on the esports scene. The World Finals in Beijing last year attracted 60 million unique viewers on that one day alone. Our next guest is a former NBA star who is a founder and owner of Echo Fox, one of the teams competing this weekend. You may know Rick Fox from his days with the Lakers, but nowadays he's one of the biggest names in esports and he joins us today from Miami. Rick, it's a pleasure to have you on Fast Money. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So you're big, you, you've made a lot of investments in esports at this point. Was there a moment in time where you thought, this is going to be big, where you knew that this was going to be a good investment? I think I would look back to my time in New York in 2015 at the North American League of Legends Championship in Madison Square Garden. I think it was in that moment, not only did I experience uh, personally for myself everything that I'd experienced in the past in playoff environments uh, throughout my NBA days, but I also ran into uh, some of my mentors, Adam Silver being one of them, who was there also exploring the industry, understanding it. Uh, and it's gone forward, as you've seen yesterday, with the 2K League. So congratulations to Adam Silver and the NBA uh, for launching their eSports uh, uh, League. 
Uh, but those were moments for me where I personally uh, got a look into the world of esports and what it, uh, the potential of it going forward could be. How has esports changed? I mean, it sounds like you brought a, a degree of professionalism and discipline to a sport that may have been the home of, of kids who, you know, had their eyes glued to a computer screen for hours and hours on end. Well, that is the stigma, right? Uh, coming out of a generation of era where it was put down the video game controller and get out of the house, uh, that was our era. Uh, my son, as an example, had a passion not to go into the family business of basketball, but to stay uh, competitive himself, but in the arena of esports. Uh, my entrance was simply as rocket fuel as a parent to him. Uh, and so I can't honestly say that there was an anxiety around that. Uh, but as I explored and got deeper into where esports was growing to, my anxiety started to alleviate uh, because uh, no different for an NBA, a young man or woman wanting to be a professional athlete in, say, tennis or basketball or some other uh, field of, of, of sport, uh, eSports is now giving individuals opportunities to get scholarships to colleges. Uh, they're having careers being uh, professional athletes in eSports, making a living for themselves. Uh, so some of that anxiety can go by the wayside because if they do fall short, uh, the industry itself provides coaching jobs, uh, analyst jobs, broadcasting jobs, uh, training jobs, sports psychologists, all of those career paths that reside in traditional sports are now being bridged together between traditional and esports, and we're starting to see now there is really no difference. Hey, Rick, Tim Seymour, thanks for coming on. You know, I saw you in 2015 talking about how this was a massive business opportunity, but as an athlete, we play a game, would you rather? Would you rather cutting the nets down at, uh, at the L.A. Forum having won the, the championship or being in the sold-out garden for League of Legends championship and Echo Fox taking the title? What's more exciting for you? Well, I, I've done one a number of times on the grand <laughs> scale. I've won three world championships. If you know anything about my background, I've, I've had uh, really the fortune of being a part of great franchises with the Lakers under Dr. Jerry Buss, Jerry West, the GM, Phil Jackson, the coach. I play with great players like Shaq and Kobe. But uh, all of those things I've accomplished uh, looking backwards. I tend to look forward. Uh, and I think it really is going to be just as exhilarating, as exciting someday to hoist a, 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 a trophy on the rift, uh, something we don't get to do this weekend, but we hope to be at the Worlds later on in Seoul, Korea at the end of the year in League of Legends. And I know I'm going to feel the same way I felt uh, when I won championships in the NBA. Now, Rick, you've got something very special to show the world, right, this evening. Special jersey. Yes. Well, this is, uh, this is our weekend uh, uh, jersey for our League of Legends team. We went with the Miami colors so that we can support uh, the fan base here in Miami that love League of Legends. Our players are excited about representing them this weekend, uh, and we hope you tune in to watch. I know you're pro one of your producers already, and I had a conversation <laughs> about his love for League of Legends. Yep, she's a, she's a big fan. Rick, our thanks to you. Good luck. Good luck with uh, Echo Fox. Much. Rick Fox, right. joining us from Miami. He better send us jerseys, number one. <laughs> I hope he, I'm sure he's listening. I'll, I will sport an Echo Fox. I think Absolutely, hot man. Pink cool. becomes you. That was Without cool. question. But Tim was, you know, Tim was on this a few years ago. He was at Madison Square Garden. We talked about Take Two last night. Stock was up today. I think that stock, if you want to play it, that's as interesting a way as it can be given their valuation. It was interesting to hear Rick talk about how this ecosystem is sort of being duplicated. The ecosystem that existed around professional sports when it comes to the coaching, the doctor, the, all of that will be duplicated for the world of esports. I never thought of it that way. I mean, it, it's just it's going to be just as big, right? Why not professionalize it? Makes sense. Yeah.
Yeah, the cost structure is actually probably much less if you think about it, too. Right. So, like, the market's going to be great. I think you just have to go back to what Strauss Selznick said last night. This is an embedded call option for them. Pretty good story. I think it's a massive opportunity. I think it's more than that. And I think this is a huge benefit for the, for the media networks. I think this is going to be taking a meaningful bite out of sports viewing. And at the same time, a lot of these guys are betting on that themselves. Coming up, energy leading the rally today, and the charts are setting up for an even bigger breakout for two stocks. We'll give you the names. More Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Energy surging is one of the best performing sectors in today's rally, up nearly 2%. And the options market is implying even more gains for two big names in the space. So let's get to Mike Cohen, Austin, Texas, to break it all down. Hi, Mike. Hi there. Yeah, so we saw a lot of call activity in several energy names, and two of the ones that I thought were pretty notable, Chevron, obviously the second biggest integrated oil company, saw two times the average daily call volume. Halliburton, my favorite oil service company, saw calls outpacing puts by about two to one. And in Chevron, we saw next week's 120 strike calls as the most active. Those were trading for about 65 cents, so betting on about a 3% gain there. Halliburton, we were looking out to the June 50 calls. Those were very interesting, trading about $1.50. So that's a more notable increase in price over the course of the next two months. I think this is really just a play on continued rise in oil prices for both of these. But the oil services space should be strong regardless. All right. Thanks for that, Mike. Mike Coe. For more options action, check out the full show tomorrow. We're back, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, Final Trades. Trade, Tim Seymour. We talked about companies that I think are doing well in this environment. We also talked about for different reasons FedEx by that name. Karen Feinerman. Yes, we touched a little bit on housing, which I'm bullish on, and Lowe's would be the way to play it. Chief valuation here. Dan Nathan. Yeah, so I'm with Guy. I think Amazon could run into its earnings, but I wouldn't be there for the print. Guy. Spirited, spirited show this evening. Think so? Always. Spirited. How are you, you all right? Like the, the airlines? <laughs> like the airlines? It's good, though. You need debate. Healthy debate. Yes. Have a moment yes. here. You have a moment debate. Las Vegas Sands, you had good Macau numbers, sister. I thought you were going to choose Spirit <laughs> Airlines. <laughs> I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks so much for watching. See you back here tomorrow again at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.